kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? gentlemen and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Please God let the storms not walk not knock me off the air this evening. Uh with me tonight is the best producer money can't buy, Mr. Uh Very Boring. How are you this evening, Barry? Oh I'm good. Uh just have to open with rest in peace, Gene Wilder, unfortunately. Oh, that yes. just news of that just broke um, what an hour ago. But yeah, I'm doing good. Got my DNA 200 working again. And apart from storms, the computers are behaving. Uh, yeah, Gene Wilder was 83, probably yeah. best known for parts in Young Frankenstein. Oh yeah. Uh, by my generation. Um, a brilliant comedian, really. And uh, it really is sad that he's passed. Um, yeah. Uh, everybody, I'm assuming, knew that as your vaping is going away because of the insane Pennsylvania tax. And yesterday, I got an email that one of my favorite vendors is going away. And, and Margot's dog agrees with that. Um, because their credit card processor has immediately stopped accepting payment starting as soon as the regulations went through on the 8th. So they have no way to sell product anymore. And yeah, I have a feeling, good. no, I have a feeling that this is going to be a, a common theme. I think we're going to see this a lot more than you'd think we would. And also with me this evening uh, is the lovely and fabulous Miss Margot Gardner and her dogs how are you this evening Mark? And, and my pack of barking hounds <laughs> hi everyone <laughs> got your hell hounds with you <laughs> yeah and my fingers on the mute button in case they go off <laughs> hey it, it adds a touch of humanity to the show and uh god knows it could use it all right uh alex will be up at the seven o'clock hour or whenever he happens to pop in things are a lot more casual now that we're using discord discord which actually works during a storm although i might sound a bit dalicky versus skype which took 45 minutes to pop up today for me during the worst of the storm so discord is definitely the way to go thank you very for finding it for us 
Well, I, I've been using it for quite a while, so I didn't exactly find it. <laughs> well, yeah. I like it. Yeah, me too. It's simple. I do too. Yeah. It is simple, and it's really not a resource hog. So it, it really is, it, it's damn near perfect. If you are real-time gaming and you're on a computer, this thing is damn near perfect. It's not a resource hog. It's not heavy. I'm pretty sure the TSA, uh, the NSA is completely uninterested in it because who wants to hear conversations like, I've just got to get the big guy. He's shooting me with a flamethrower. I really noob, think they have no noob, noob. To... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I could be wrong. It's okay. also better. I think it, it's actually better optimized for voice quality than Skype is. And Skype's oh. supposed to be the communications platform. No. <laughs> I wouldn't call Skype a communications platform. I'd call it, uh, you know, Something the, else. N the NSA is open window <laughs> via Microsoft. That's what I would call it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Gene Wilder. It's very sorry about that. That's, that's a shame. But um, I think that's to be expected. That's the one thing. The longer I live, the less people that um, are really famous that I grew up with seem to be around. I've noticed that. Well, we all have the excuse to go and watch all those films again now. Eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And loads of them all appear on television. Yeah, that that is true. They do do that a lot. Okay. Um. So first up, I said I was going to talk about the TSA. Unfortunately, it's not a funny story. Sorry, guys. TSA hassles nine-year-old boy with pacemaker and four heart defects. St. Paul, Minnesota. In the near decade they've flown around the world together, the Bergstrom family has never had problems with the TSA, let alone over nine-year-old Chili's pacemaker, until Saturday morning at Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. Usually they are very friendly, they smile, they give him a sticker, a TSA sticker, Chili's mother, Allie Bergstrom of Wyoming, Minnesota, told Fox 9. Chili was born with Golden Haar's syndrome. The syndrome, in Chili's case, includes four heart defects. The condition has forced Chili to endure 15 open heart surgeries and requires he live with a pacemaker. Due to Chili's disability in pacemaker, the Bergstroms are required to request alternative screening anytime they fly, every time they fly. The Bergstroms also make sure to show the TSA documentation supporting screening modifications Chili requires to stay alive. Despite his struggles, the little boy aspires to become a pilot. Each time the Bergstroms travel, they make sure to arrive early, says his mom. He likes to watch the planes take off and land, talk to all the pilots hanging around, Allie Bergstrom said. Yet what the Bergstroms encountered at a TSA checkpoint inside Sky Harbor Airport was what they call traumatic and discriminatory. Allie wonders if it even tarnishes Chili's dream. Well, the years that we've been flying, this has never happened, Allie said, after they were denied their usual expedited screening process Saturday. Alternative screening allows Chili to forego walking through metal detectors and instead go through a safe two-minute screening. We're told immediately by the TSA that he was not allowed to be screened alternatively and instead would need an exemption, said Allie. An exemption the family never requested and held him up for more than an hour. I was shocked beyond belief in... Um, I was shocked beyond belief. In walks the head of the Department of Homeland Security for the entire airport, followed by other supervisors and managers, with 10 other people from the TSA, said Alley. And four police officers, Chili chimed, completing his mother's sentences. With everything, guns, tasers, all that, said Chili. The exemption screening was lengthy and arduous, according to the Bergstroms. The agents, they say, were also demeaning. 
One of the TSA agents told me they'd prevented terrorist attacks using nine-year-old boys with pacemakers and children before. So I laughed and said, oh, when? At that point, the TSA agent became very quiet and said, oh, we're not at liberty to discuss this, recounted Alan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TSA advocating tall tales. Uh, advocating for himself during the ordeal, Chili asked, could you please explain to me what's happening right now? Because I'm not used to this. At that point, the TSA agent said he wouldn't be flying today, Ali said. The mother claims the manner by which her family was processed was dehumanizing. It was very scary, said Chile. I thought it was my fault. Because he has been reared with this pacemaker, I always tried to empower him, the mother explained. This was the first time I'd ever heard him talk like this, she said. He woke up with nightmares on Saturday night, on Sunday night, Ali told Fox 9. Of how the debacle continues to affect her son. In a statement to Fox 9, TSA spokesman Nico... Melendez wrote, the TSA is committed to ensuring all travelers are treated with respect and courtesy. <laughs> TSA is reviewing Saturday's incident and working to contact the family, Melendez concluded. TSA has not contacted me. No one has apologized. No one has reached out, said Allie. It was really terrible, the nine-year-old affirmed. The representative said, we will find you and apologize. And you know what they did? They did the exact opposite. Chili said being a heart kid is hard enough and hopes sharing his troubling encounter with the TSA will prevent it from happening to anyone else again, let alone a child with a disability. Not just me, but any heart kid, Chili said. Chili will soon undergo his 16th and hopefully his last open heart surgery. Ah, right in the feels. Yeah, there's not really a lot you can say. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, it's security theater. It's not doing anything to keep anybody safe. And what really bothers me is um, I've been reading, I think maybe you guys have, have heard me talk about um, books like the, the Emerging Police State, The Rise of the Police State, uh, things like that. So I've been reading a new one, and it, it's pretty much about how there was at one point in 2010, the TSA went into a high school prom and randomly screened everybody in the prom. Um, they've gone into shopping malls. They've, they've got x-ray vans where they can drive around and x-ray people in their vehicles without them knowing. What the TSA wants to do is have representatives in every open business in the country to stop terrorism that's not stopping terrorism that's creating a fucking police state and yeah. if we don't stop them now we won't be able to stop them at all well and you know in this particular case how hard was it for them just to look at this poor kid's chest how many okay. times has it been cracked open um how about you just look at genie yeah. Doesn't she have wires and, and everything else mm -hmm. coming out of her? And they still tell her, oh, you can just walk. No, no, no. That's not how it works. This is... It's security theater at its worst. And it wants to become... It wants to become something that puts its tentacles everywhere. Um, we make fun of the TSA. We laugh about them. And, and ridicule is important. If you've read Rules for Radicals, and I've read it, um, the reason I read Rules for Radicals is I wanted to understand why people who want to control their own lives never seem to win, right? You can't tell people that 
they need to get the fuck out of your business. It's not their business what you eat or drink or smoke or don't smoke or put in your body or don't put in your body. It's nobody's business. But people like us never really seem to win. And the very last part of Rules for Radicals, very last pages, talks about the, the things that you do to beat people back. And we don't have the balls to do any of them because we're not like that. So unless we adopt different tactics, it's going to be very hard to win against a lot of these people. People like the TSA, people like the FDA. Um, there's no real conservative blueprint to win against these guys. We can try defunding them. That's been tried, and then we get beaten back because we get told, oh, we want to allow terrorists into the country, or we don't care about the children. There are well, other ways to you, beat these people back. Go ahead. Yeah, and then, but then you've got the issue, even if you work up the chutzpah to try it, how successful are you going to be when they put you behind bars? Well, you know, we have to start somewhere, <laughs> My husband and I were were actually talking about, like, this group of people that make these rules that dictate how we're going to live our lives, they don't really fear anything because they have all the money and they have all the power, right? And he said, what the only thing, the only thing you could do to them is make them like us. You know, kind of like if you watch Mr. Robot, you, you see that they're taking the money away from the corporations and that's gradually decreasing the power for these people, not as quickly as you would like. And it hurts everyone else in the process. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that might actually be a solution. If they had to follow all the rules that they expect us to follow, maybe something would change. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Oh, uh, well, new planet. We, we, we live in a culture that could easily make it happen. There are hackers out there that could take away all these people's money, all these people's power, every sort of stock or bond or money that they own. Take it completely away from them. And then they're just like us. They're vulnerable, just like the poor people. And then what happens? Do things change? I don't know. But I'm saying, you know, the possibility exists that it could happen. Not that it will, but it could. You know, these people are not as smart as they think they are. Sorry, I went off on a rant. Didn't mean That's to. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of the rich, <clears throat> how the super rich are making their homes invisible. <clears throat> I kind of thought this was just really interesting because I've seen this before. It, it happens a lot here. Uh, if you go to Google Maps and look up an address, and Barry was talking about it last week. Don't you have a politician or some really rich person over there who everybody absolutely hates, and all of a sudden their house is no longer there on Google Maps? Yeah, that was uh, Fred the Shred, the banker. Right. Um, this kind of reminded me of that. So I thought I would talk about it a little bit. This is from Financial Times. Now the super rich are making their homes invisible. Privacy is perhaps the greatest luxury anyone can buy. Hence the trend for properties hidden from prying eyes and online searches. There is nothing remarkable about 23 to, I'm sorry, 23726 Long Valley Road, except that it does not appear to exist. A state agent's advertisement showed that the high-end California home, six bedrooms, pizza oven, pool, is situated in a gated community on the edge of Los Angeles, 
yet prospective buyers are searching online to check out the neighborhood are wasting their time. None of the area's 648 homes appear on Google Street View. There are people who still want curb appeal, but many others don't want to know where they live, don't want anyone to know where they live. All that online maps show of that area are street routes and names, what could perhaps be an outline plan for future housing development, but anyone looking for a curbside view of the property will find no evidence of it. The community's name gives a clue as to why. It is called Hidden Hills. But the area's occupants, who reportedly include Kim Kardashian, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, and Jennifer Lopez, value above all his privacy. That includes banning Google's photography vehicles from entering and declining to talk to the Financial Times. A spokesman for the area management company said it had a policy of not giving interviews to the press. Academics have long used the name hidden communities or invisible communities to denote areas with high concentrations of deprivation and social marginalization. Yet some of the world's most privileged people are choosing to hide from the public eye to protect their homes from burglars and other forms of unwelcome attention. In an even more ever-connected world, privacy is perhaps the greatest luxury anyone can buy. This demand for the under-radar living has fueled the spread of places like Hidden Hills. California has several other neighborhoods that guard their privacy by refusing to appear on Street View, including Bradbury and Bell Canyon. All are among the most affluent neighborhoods in the U.S. Author and futurist Jeff Mano, whose book, A Burglar's Guide to the City, documents these attempts to take entire communities out of the public gaze, calls it an urban-scale non-disclosure agreement. The occupants of such areas do not want to be discussed and operate on the basis that out of sight means out of mind and out of the reach of burglars, he writes. To be clear, these options are not a true stealth strategy, hiding you from the tax authorities or security services, but they are a way of avoiding the more casual unwanted attention from nosy neighbors to the paparazzi. There was a time when people really flaunted their wealth. Now they don't, says David Forbes, head of private office at real estate agents Ballas, who advises wealthy buyers. People's priorities over the years have shifted. Now right at the top of the list, it's security. He cites the routine use of shell companies and other ownership structures to give property buyers anonymity, along with the increasing popularity of gated communities. Rather than buying the individual villa up on the hill that everyone can see, homeowners are also pouring a lot more money than ever before into home security systems, he says. The safety threat can be very real, Forbes warns. If you're driving a convertible Bentley right now in the south of France, you're asking for trouble. If you follow it back to your villa by a couple of scooters, people spend their money on boats and planes, but open street displays wealth. No, people don't want to attract that kind of attention. This caution is feeding through into the design of homes. There are always people who want what's known as curb appeal, but there are many others who don't want anyone to know where they live. They want to be discreet. Attempts to avoid a property's detection can range from the small scale to the colossal. At its most minute, location trackers such as GPS can be blocked using a jamming signal, preventing attempts to follow individuals. Such jammers are legally questionable in many jurisdictions. Some governments have banned their sale and use. They work by disrupting communications between satellites and location detectors, which are contained in many everyday technological devices including mobile phones, digital pedometers, and smartwatches, and more sinister, can be attached to vehicles by stealth. On a larger scale, architects have begun to experiment with ways to conceal whole buildings. The simplest way to remove habitat from public view is to put it underground. 
with basement dig downs or even entire subterranean properties. Langtree House near Hampstead Heath in London, for example, is a subterranean property with three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a cinema room, which has been fitted into the space underneath what was previously a row of lock-up garages. Uh, the construction site is tucked behind a mansion block, although the home's design was influenced primarily by tight planning regulations, which severely limited its height, the result is a Bond villain-style hidden lair. For properties that remain above ground, some architects are trying out stealth concealment designs. An architectural experiment proposed by Jack Studio involves cladding the upper floors of a family home in Broxley, southeast London, with layered mirrors that reflect its sleepy surroundings, disguising its scale and form. For extra stealth, property owners can take their homes off the grid, generating their own electricity and water supply, avoids the telltale pipes and wires heading onto their land. Self-sufficient communities have become increasingly popular for privacy as well as ecological reasons. Some estimates suggest that 180,000 households are living off the grid in the U.S. alone. Three Rivers Recreation Area in Oregon is one example. With about 80 permanent residents and more than 4,000 acres in total, the area includes a marina, a private airstrip, desert golf course, and hiking trails. Like Hidden, Hill, home, yeah, like Hidden Hills, homes do not appear on Google Street View. Keeping a property off the map has a long pedigree. Famously, London's iconic post office tower was an official secret for decades, despite towering over the city as the tallest building for more than two decades after its construction in the 1960s. The tower did not appear on London maps, and its existence was only formally acknowledged in 1993 when Labour MP Katie Holy spoke about it in the House of Commons. Bizarrely, given that the building was given an official launch party in 1965 and then opened to the public for 15 years. The proliferation of pri uh, public homes and pri private public space okay, is leading to a world with multiple levels of mapping, like a computer game. Those in the know can find hidden spaces that are invisible to the most unknowing mass of other people. In his dystopian fantasy detective novel, The City and the City, Author China Neville envisages a world in which twin cities share the same physical space but are invisible to each other everywhere except a handful of areas which exist in both places and are essentially border zones. One of Neville's characters cites a popular bit of local folklore about a boy meeting a girl, but them both spending the rest of their lives walking alongside each other unknowingly as they occupy different cities. The pair would spend their lives faithful and alone, staring at the same time, walking cross-hatched streets, close like a couple, each in their own city, never breaking, never quite touching, never speaking a word across the border, Neville writes. Although people who choose to live under the radar in the real world are not quite so invisible to the rest of us, there's a parallel here. Like Neville's fictional characters, they walk alongside us during the day, but at night they disappear off the map. Go yep. ahead. If, if you're rich and can pay for it, yeah, you stop appearing on Google. Yeah. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah. The post office terror thing. Yeah, that was hilarious at the time. Well, I mean... Pe people ridiculous. noticed that straight away. It's like, how come the giant tower doesn't appear on the map? What giant tower? <laughs> yeah. Everybody walking around going, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, what back do you mean? then, that was before... Um, that was before, it was the tall, at the, at the time it was built, that was the tallest building in London. So, yeah, it stood out just a bit. <laughs> giant, giant tower with lots of satellite dishes strapped to the side of it. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was really 
hard <laughs> to miss. Um, yeah, I can see that. But uh, yeah, it basically just means if you're rich, you have a little more privacy than the rest of us, which must be kind of nice because privacy, I know, is one of the things I really value. Yeah. And, you know, I'm watching the Supreme Court walking all over the Fourth Amendment, allowing the police to go wherever they want to go, whenever they want to go there. And it, it, it frightens me a little bit. Like the, I don't. I know everybody knows the Second Amendment, but I don't think people know that the Fourth guarantees that they have the right not to be searched like they are. And that has pretty much gone away. Although, you know, it's, it's like that everywhere now, I guess. Surveillance cameras everywhere. You know, you're always being watched. Margo, anything? New planet. New planet. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to space with Elton Musk. I think that would be terrible. Well, why can't we send everybody else? We'll stay here and ship them off. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. John, John, just to point out, you won't be going to space with Elon Musk. Well, he's he's a big mouth and doesn't have the technology. Well, I mean, even if he did have the technology, I definitely don't have the money. So yeah, but yeah, yeah Musk talks a big talk, but yeah, his technology is. Nothing special. Well, I mean, the hyper I was, I was, <laughs> I, I'm not even going to talk <clears throat> about that. You would have to build that shit with vibranium. Just saying. Yeah. And that's that's about as possible as yeah. That's about as possible as a marble moving. Hey, hey! Without the tube, he managed to get the maglev component to run at 120 kilometers an hour. You're still <laughs> half the, half the speed of Japanese bullet trains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody said he was bright. He just—he's a good salesman. But I—I I was proud when SpaceX actually managed to go up without blowing up that one time. Oh, and it managed to actually come down and land on its tail, which every <laughs> other, every other space company is like. Well, why does it need to do that? So there's no reason for it having to do that. It's just so you can show off. Um, <sighs> Yeah, it doesn't seem to be any technological reason for that, but what well, do I know? He cla they claim it's for fast turnaround because then it's ready, already in launch position again, straight away. Nearly, no, it isn't. Because so, it'll land, has to be fully serviced anyway, so there's no advantage for it already so, being wait upright. A so, so Elon Musk basically wants to be Fry from Futurama. Yeah. He wants to run Planet Express. <laughs> just saying yeah i think google's ahead of him on that one though yeah well quite possibly yeah since they don't go around mouthing about what they've got until mm -hmm. it's ready yeah <laughs> imagine my surprise to read about bae systems <gasps> really oh <laughs> I, I know what story you're going for now yeah yeah okay british companies are selling advanced spy tech to authoritarian regimes and you know no. i know i know right <laughs> it's so surprising it's so shocking i didn't expect it at all okay since early 2015 over a dozen uk companies have been granted licenses to export powerful telecommunications interception technology to countries around the world motherboard has learned many of these exports include imsi catchers uh, better known as what 
kingfishers, and stingrays. Uh, devices which can monitor large numbers of mobile phones over broad areas. Some of the UK companies were given permission to export their products to authoritarian states such as Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, I, I still don't, never mind. I, I don't understand how you get a seat on the UN Human Rights Council when you're Saudi Arabia. I'm just saying. Lots of brain envelopes. Yeah. The United Arab, yeah, Arab Emirates, Turkey, and Egypt, countries with poor human rights records that have been well documented to abuse surveillance technology because nobody else has a problem with that. Every other country completely respects their people's privacy. Uh, at a time... <laughs> Sorry. At a time when the use of these surveillance tools is still highly controversial in the UK, it is completely unacceptable that companies are allowed to export the same equipment to countries with atrocious human rights records, which lack rule of law altogether. There is absolutely a clear risk that these products can be used for repression and abuses. Oh, say it isn't so. Edwin Omak, research officer at Privacy International, told Motherboard in an email. In 2015, the UK's Department of Business, Innovation, and Skills started publishing basic data about the exportation of telecommunication interception devices. Through the Freedom of Information Act, Motherboard obtained the names of companies that have applied for exportation licenses, as well as details on the technologies being shipped, including, in some cases, individual product names. These companies include a subsidiary of defense giant BAE Systems, as well as ProSolve International, ComsTrack, Celexon, Cobham, and Domo Technical Communications. Many of these companies sell IMSI catchers, sometimes known as Stingrays. <laughs> After a popular product brand are fake cell phone towers, which force devices in their proximity to connect. In the data obtained by Motherboard, 33 licenses are explicitly marked as being for IMSI catchers, including for export to Turkey and Indonesia. Other listings heavily suggest the export of IMSI catchers too. One granted application to export to Iraq is for a widespread passive GSM monitoring system, which is a more technical description of what many IMSI catchers do. IMSI catchers extract the phone SIM card's unique identifying number or IMSI, but many models are capable of more powerful surveillance techniques as well. Kabam, who has been granted at least one license, advertises IMSI catchers that can be used to intercept SMS messages and calls from mobile phones. Um, just a thought, y'all. Signal app, good idea. Uh, and the reason I say that is if you have data charges that apply when you send text messages, if you have signal and someone else has signal anywhere else in the world, those messages never show up and you never get charged for them. That's that's one good reason to use something that does protect your privacy. Because it saves you money. But it also protects your privacy. Uh, okay. IMSI catchers are probably one of the most controversial and yet more demanded piece of surveillance technology marketed today. They are of dubious legality, and their use raises serious ethical and privacy concerns due to their invasiveness and wide reach. Claudio Gieri, technologist at Amnesty International, told Motherboard in an online chat, some of the other export licenses for IMSI catchers are marked as temporary. According to the Department for International Trade, which processed the Freedom of Information request, 
This means the product has to be returned to the UK within one year. These licenses might be used for transferring equipment to be exhibited at a surveillance trade fair or demoed to a potential client. A temporary license was granted for the export of an IMSI catcher to Pakistan. In all, Motherboard received entries for 148 export license applications from February 2015 to April 2016. The small number of the named companies do not provide interception capabilities, but defensive measures, for example, to monitor the radio spectrum. Uh, okay. The following is a full list of exporters. This is from the FOIA request. Um, that have export licenses granted or refused from the ECO. BAE Systems Applied Intelligence Limited, BN Security and Defense Solutions Limited, Salaxon Limited, Coburn TCS Limited, Comstack Limited, CRFS Limited, Domo Tactical Communications, uh, Gamma TSE Limited, Horizon Technology Consultants Limited, Mega Blue Technologies Limited, Prestige Security Management, LTD, um, ProSolve International Limited, QCC Global Limited, Seven Technologies Group Limited, Smith Myers Communications, TGL Services UK Limited, TRL Technology Limited. The list of companies provided by the Department for International Trade. Okay, that was what I just read from. For a few licenses, the Department withheld product descriptions, saying their disclosure would harm commercial interests. The department declined to link any of the companies to specific license applications, but in some cases, the data provides enough information to make a clear connection. For example, two temporary licenses are for a DNA tracker, a product made by Mega Blue Technologies Limited. A DNA tracker can not only track phones locations by their IMSI numbers, but also tracks devices such as laptops through their individual MAC addresses. The data includes two successful license applications for temporary export to China and Kuwait. The company's website suggests the gear could be deployed in airports or for crowd monitoring and property protection. In another example, licenses refer to Marlin, a product made by TRL Technology Limited that can intercept calls made on the ISA phone, Instamat, and Thayula satellite phone networks. According to the export data, permanent export licenses for Marlin were granted to Egypt, Indonesia, India, Israel, Kenya, Turkey, Vietnam. A license for export to Ethiopia was refused. Uh, many of the countries have received products included in the export data have a history of abusing surveillance technologies. Turkey framed a journalist using malware. The United Arab Emirates repeatedly spied on an activist, and the government of Saudi Arabia is suspected of hacking political targets. As we learn time and time again, countries with bad human rights records often keep utilizing interception technology to penetrate even and penetrate and perpetrate even more abuses and suppress dissent. British and European companies by now should very well know that the risks involved in enabling and empowering some oppressive governments. Therefore, it is imperative that companies as well as licensing authorities appropriately evaluate human rights implications when making business decisions, Amnesty International Gary said. Nick Hay, an international communications manager for BA Systems Applied Intelligence, told Motherboard in an email, it is against our policy to comment on contacts with specific countries or customers. 
VA Systems works for another, a number of organizations around the world within the regulatory framework of all relevant countries and within our own responsible trading principles. Oh, we need to talk about VA Systems when we're done with this. All of the other companies linked to the interception tech exports did not respond to questions on which customers or countries they would sell to. A spokesperson from the Department of International Trade told Motherboard in an email that the UK government takes its arms export responsibility very seriously and operates one of the most robust arms export control regimes in the world. We rigorously example every application on a case-by-case basis against the consolidated EU and national arms export licensing material criteria. We draw on all available information, including reports from NGOs and our overseas network as part of our assessment. Export licensing requires the departments to consider how the equipment will be used by the recipient country. Okay, Barry, tell me about VA systems, please. Uh, if you're gonna look for a company that is modeled on evil corporation from any dystopian film... <laughs> That's BAE Systems. So they, they have modelled themselves on the worst excesses of corporate greed, uh, dodgy research. I do like the our own responsible trading principles, and yeah. we, we know what those are. You show up, yeah. and the only uh. question they've really got is, how much money have you got? And they'll sell whatever it is they've got that matches that sum of money. Um <laughs> You know, it, uh, so they're evil corp from yeah, Mr. Robot. basically. And worse. And worse, and worse. yeah. I mean, they, I mean, I told, I've talked to you about them before. You have. They are the largest what... defense contractor in the world by a long, long way. They make stuff they, for everybody. They make stuff that, you know, it makes, um, well, it makes Iron Man look like a saint. <laughs> some of the stuff that they make and sell. Well, I mean, small examples. Uh, our current nuclear submarine fleet, BAE Systems, well, one of their subsidiaries, uh, whenever the British military get hardware from another country, like, you know, we got Apache helicopters off you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, BAE Systems were the people brought in to put in our technology into it. <laughs> um, because, yeah, our targeting systems are a bit different. Um, yeah. <laughs> your next no gen, your country's next generation drones are being designed by BA systems. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they cover a lot of ground, but they sell you to know, anyone who's got the money. Sure. You know, I didn't put a story in here, but that blimp, that, that oh, yeah. new super blimp, what it crashed for like the second time? Why the fuck are we using no, no, blimps? No, 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 no. You have to be correct. That particular blimp, that model, it's had two landings, and the second one it crashed. Okay. 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 It landed okay the first but time, the but not the second right? time. Right, but I'm saying, why are we going backwards? Uh, that one's slightly different. It's not just a blimp. It's it, um, it's, it's got... technology? No, 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 no. It actually, it's it's a combination. It's it's what they call a super lifter. Uh, it's got wings and engines, so it's a lot more oh, maneuverable okay. than a blimp, and okay. goes faster. As but it happens, it can go faster into the ground as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
Okay. Luckily, it's mostly, yeah, mostly it's giant balloons, so it didn't actually damage itself very much hitting the ground. Um, mm, yeah. Because unlike most blimps, all all the all the components are basically inside the gas envelope. It doesn't have lots of bits sticking out. <laughs> so basically, we don't have to look forward to another Hindenburg. Well, it also uses helium, it must be said, ah, so yeah. So, yeah, probably not. Very good. But yeah, it's, it, just... it can lift about twice as much as the same sort of size aircraft. So, yeah, that's why they're building uh, them. Am I the only one that when you see this, you look at it and it gives you a whole new meaning for the word double butt? <laughs> <laughs> the word blimp? <laughs> well, it's a fact that it looks like two blimps that have been, like, glued together. In the it, it looks like a great big bum butt. Yeah. I was going to say it kind of looks like two elephants under a tarp, but what do I know? But when you look carefully, yeah, it's got wings sticking out the side uh, <laughs> for steering it. So it can, I, unlike most blimps, it can actually go against the wind. Uh, <laughs> at a high rate of speed, too, from what I've read. Oh, yeah. yeah, I yeah. It's very efficient. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not efficient. I'm just saying I don't. I don't understand. Never mind. You know, um, maybe because Bolt cargo had... that thing would be able to take a container across the Atlantic in a day That's if they get bad. it running right. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's it's basically yeah. uh, got jet engines, not propeller engines like most blimps. Okay. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I see blimp, I think. Big I remember slow. them. Yeah. I remember them dragging. I remember one getting loose in America and yeah. dragging yeah. through states, digging up fire hydrants and telephone lines. I, I just, I think in many ways, perhaps that technology is best um, not used widely. Well, I mean, this this current one is a development of something that's been around for about forty year, forty fifty years. But it's yeah. it, unlike old flush, unlike normal blimps, it doesn't need a specialist landing area. It can just land on any flat ground. Okay. But it's faster and more maneuverable. But it's designed for carrying heavy cargo. Oh, okay. I'm just but basically, like a... that that was their original aim: was to have faster transport of expensive goods across okay. large oceans yeah because it flies high it flies fast and can carry a lot so yeah, yeah. much more than a normal plane which okay that makes it's not sense. as fast as a normal plane but it can carry nearly twice as much so yeah yeah actually you know what i i think i'm gonna scroll down to bleach bit y'all <laughs> um and i'm gonna scroll down to bleach bit I'm going to read a story that I don't really agree with, but I'm going to tell you, if it works for them, it can work for you. Okay. Hillary Clinton used file cleaning software BleachBit. Is that proof of wrongdoing? Well, you know. In an appearance on Fox News to discuss the revelations from the latest Hillary Clinton email findings, South Carolina Representative Trey Gowdy Chairman of the House's Benghazi Committee revealed that Hillary deleted emails uh, using BleachBit, a file-deleting software program. Rowdy accused Clinton of using the software to delete emails on her private server because she had something to hide. They're using something called BleachBit. 
You don't use bleach mitt for yoga emails or bridesmaid emails. When you're using bleach bit, it is something you really don't want the world to see. He also said she and her lawyers had those emails deleted and they didn't just push the delete button. They had them deleted where even God can't read them. So what is Bleachbit and who uses it? It's an open source software program similar to CC Cleaner that many people use to clear unneeded files from their computers to free up space and keep their systems running smoothly. Lifehacker reviewed Bleachbit in 2010, two years after it launched. Bleachbit has a very simple two-pane interface, one with a list of installed apps and cleanable areas like caches and temporary files, and one pane to tell you what types of files each option deletes. Just scroll down the list, check which boxes you'd like Bleach Bit to clean, and hit the delete button. You can even tell it to overwrite the files to hide what was originally there, if you're particularly privacy conscious. Apart from cleaning a uh, from cleaning a long list of popular apps, it can perform some more advanced tasks too, like cleaning the memory and swap partition, delete broken shortcuts, delete languages you don't use, and some other application-specific functions. Window users may be underwhelmed, but Linux users will find this a welcome tool for freeing up a bit of space. In a blog post, Bleachbit wrote, so far it had not been served a warrant or subpoena in relation to the investigation of Clinton's servers. It continued, Bleachbit is free of charge to use in any environment, whether it's personal, commercial, educational, or governmental, and the cleaning process is not reversible. Even if the process is not reversible, Grouty might have been overstating its efficiency and Clinton's intentions. Computer security expert Jonathan Zadansky told CNN that Bleachbit is an amateur program. It looks like the type of tool someone who's run who someone would run who's conscious of cleaning old crud off their system, Zadansky said. Someone trying to cover their tracks would likely pay for and use a much more expensive specialized data destruction tool. If Congress can't get into your fucking emails, and sounds pretty effective. It sounds like it works pretty well. If it works for them, it can work for you too. Yeah, Just but... remember that the NSA data center probably has copies of every fucking thing you've ever sent or received. Yeah, but the the expert is right. That's that it's it's not professional software. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have access. There's freeware out there, just like this, that performs government type wipes on your hard drive. Right. Which is, it deletes the file. It then randomly writes over the area where the file was in three different ways. <laughs> <laughs> and it also does the same in the master file table on your computer. All right, so Barry's going to tell us a really good tool to use if we're privacy conscious and someone's keeping oh, I haven't, our door. I haven't looked up what's currently available. But yeah, they're out well, there. I mean, <laughs> well, I've used them in helpful. the past. I'm just saying that's not helpful. You know, I'm not trying to tell people how to evade the system or anything, but I'm just saying bleach bit is an option. Yeah. If it worked for the former Secretary of State and person who's under investigation by the FBI who's running for president, it could probably work for you too. Because apparently I sus- I Congress though, and the FBI yeah. can't fucking figure out how to get that shit back. Go ahead. I, I suspect though, how how come how come how come this big investigation, how come the FBI isn't pressuring the hard drive manufacturer to take the hard drive and get all the data off it, retrieve all the data? 
Because that's what they do to the likes of Apple. Very. <laughs> it's called it's called government corruption. Yeah. I know none of us here are familiar with that concept. Yeah, because if anyone can get the data corruption. off her server, it's the people who made the hard drives that are in they, the server. Yeah. Right, but I'm saying they don't even need to do that. No. NSA Data Center, Utah. You know there's copies of that shit there. All they gotta do is track it the fuck down. Of course, with as big as the haystack is, they're probably having a hard time finding the damn needle. Although, that's ironic when you look at Hillary Clinton. She looks like she dresses like a fucking haystack. I really don't like that woman. Not like I like Trump any better, but that woman just, she makes me physically ill. The things she does and the people that she calls friends, I I, I cannot I wouldn't want believe. to be a friend. No, no shit. You're her friend. You wind up dropping a kettleball on your own fucking head the day you're going to testify yeah. against her. You know? No, it's not good to be her friend. Fuck. You know? I don't know. I just... I don't like her. I didn't really want to talk about that, but I do want to tell people about Bleach Bit because some people might not know it exists. I mean, there are other things to use. I agree with you. And yeah. again, I haven't looked because, you know, really... I don't think the government's all that interested in my, you know, 8,000 no, emails I get a day. The only time I ever use wiping software is if I'm getting rid of a old computer, selling on an old computer and want to make sure there's nothing on there. Oh, I don't even do that. I've pulled my drives and, and gotten industrial magnets and wiped them. Not that I'm... That, that, that doesn't work either. Retrieved oh, I know. That too. <laughs> um, sure they have. But I'm just saying, I still have mine. Do you for know for I mean? the record, the only way to completely destroy data on a hard drive is to melt it. <laughs> Turn it into a little pool of liquid material. Say, throwing it into a bonfire works, doesn't it? No. Uh, no. No, there's always no they're designed to resist quite retreat. a lot of heat. Yeah. Now think like the black boxes on airplanes. Think like that. Yeah. That's but yeah, the only, the only way to get rid of them, to, to absolutely make sure you're not going to have any problems, is to basically put them in a blast furnace and make sure they're molten. Um, so, crematorium. Yeah, well, hotter oh, probably okay. than a crematorium. Uh, the silicon, the platter's made <laughs> out of won't melt until it's about 2,000 degrees. So uh, blast it into the fucking sun and yeah. you might be safe. Okay. Good to know. Um, well, if we anyone, if any, there's a good experiment for you, right? Old credit okay. cards, you know, they tell, them, tell you to cut them up. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, another way is incinerating them. But if you just take a blowtorch and try and melt your credit card, yeah, the plastic melts, no problem. But she's a little yeah. chip and pin bit. It's really hard to get rid of. Well, I mean, but isn't that why um, Germany, who's particularly privacy conscious, isn't that why they take all their trackable stuff and microwave it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll help. That randomizes the magnetic field over the whole surface. Yes. So it helps. Okay, so 20 yeah. minutes in a microwave will do it. Yeah, you can't uh, use a normal microwave. It'd blow up. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's there's. It, You're taking you know, away my party. Well, I mean, you know, you need, you need one of the big industrial walk-in ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyone they have in a restaurant, 
might work. You'd Maybe. probably still blow it out. Because yeah, the, the metal is the problem. Yeah. Whereas some of the big industrial ones are designed to cope with that. Yeah. <laughs> by Not being by, by weighing 20 tons and being room-sized. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, tell me... Okay, we've got like eight minutes before Alex pops on. So, tell me what you think of North Korea's new Netflix service. <laughs> Well, you know, I have this propensity for finding interesting brand names. Uh, North Korea are apparently making it easy. Uh, <laughs> I, my, I'm going to read, my. <laughs> gonna read this one. Okay. <laughs> what an unfortunate choice for a name. Okay. North Korea launches Netflix-like streaming propaganda service, Mandang. Despite its name, Manbang is not a gay male pornography service. Kim Jong-un's regime unveiled the service today as a propaganda-filled streaming service delivering on-demand videos to televisions through a set-top box. A North Korean news report says Manbang is further proof of the reclusive nation's socialist cultural power and allows citizens to watch their country make a leap forward every day, every hour. Netflix made a joke on Twitter about all of this and now describes itself as a man-bang knockoff in its bio. If a viewer wants to watch, for instance, an animal movie and sends a request to the equipment, it will show the relevant, relevant video to the viewer. This is two-way communication, said Kim Jong-min, head of the center in charge of providing information and technology, according to NK News. English and Russian language learning material is also said to be included. The service doesn't appear to be available outside of North Korea. Damn it. The technology... Uh, I know. <laughs> no, I just wanted to... I just wanted to bring it up and, and see if it actually says man-bang in English. Okay. <laughs> the technology launch came just a few days before the North Korean leader successfully tested a ballistic missile that he said could hit parts of the continental United States, reports the New York Times. Very few of the country's roughly, five, 25, roughly 25 million citizens are permitted to access the actual internet. Content that can be streamed is largely restricted to state-run television and propaganda-filled movies. According to the report, in addition to news reports and updates on Mr. Kim's daily activities, Manbang also offers language courses in English and Russian. Manbang was elevating the people's cultural life a step up by allowing them to watch what they want anytime they want. A man identified as Ju Dae Hun, a telecommunications official in Sinu, a town near the Chinese border, said in a report. And Kim Kum Hee, a kindergarten teacher in Swarine, said that Manbang's video on demand service resolved the headache of children clamoring to binge watch their favorite new movies. Now they are glued to the TV screen for hours a day, she said. And, 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 yeah, their favorite movie. It's that. It's that same movie that Kim Jong Il <laughs> had made, just on repeat the whole time. It's, yeah. it's just. It's that one movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, their favorite movie is that one movie they're allowed to watch. So, yeah. like, what the sound of music? 
No, no. Probably. And I don't know about you, but I feel really slighted that I don't get to watch news reports and updates on, on Kim's daily activities. <laughs> oh, be still my heart. Yeah, you do. You get to see Kim Kardashian's fat ass all over the news every day. Same thing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I actually think I watched that crap. I'm not. I'm just saying that's that's part of the regular news now. Part of the shit news cycle. Yeah. I wa- yesterday I watched Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I watch it every time it comes on and it's just like wow. Sometimes it's like the more things change the more they stay the same. Um sometimes it makes me cry and it always leaves me saying I want to vote for Mr. Smith. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Oh well. I, yeah, I the, the, there's a disparity but, between Hollywood and real world. Yeah, it gets bigger every year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's. Oh, you missed you missed the best bit. You're you're linked to the the story. I mean, did you look at what site it was hosted on? Well, boing boing. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> boing boing told us about man bang. Yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh my god. That's hilarious. Yeah. Just the name is ridiculous. And I'm going, it's gotta mean something else over there. It has to. There's no way that that can not mean gay porn here and mean it, it can't mean the same thing there. It well, just can't. The one that stands out for me is, you know, it offers language courses in English. Uh, so you do your course in English. And then get arrested because you can't stop laughing over the name of the place that's been teaching you English. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, not that it's propagandized, which, I mean, to a certain extent, uh, Edward Bernays had things right when he talked about the government doesn't really influence people. It doesn't really rule people. It's the propaganda that gets them the right mindset. Um to that degree, he was right. So, of course, North Korea thinks this is amazing. Look how great this is. Yeah, the, 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 like... four, the four people with televisions are really enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure more people have televisions. They probably just have to pedal like a stationary bike to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how about the six people with electricity and a light bulb? <laughs> I love when they show the night maps of the world and you see North Korea and then you see South Korea. <laughs> yeah, South, South Korea makes Las Vegas look like it's, you know, dark. I, um, it does. It does. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah, every every square inch of the outside of buildings in South Korea seems to have lights on it. It's yeah, quite it impressive. Does. Even the Japanese aren't quite that bad. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, um... Well, do you know, South Korea is very progressive. It was the first country in the world where basically you'd still use your mobile phone on trains and in the underground trains and basically everywhere in the cities. Mm-hmm. You're never without a mobile phone signal. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they love, they're, all their phones have... If you go to one of the Chinese websites and look at the mm-hmm. the older Chinese phones... It's right. it's not as common now that they're all Androids, basically. But right. all the old phones all had TV receivers built in. Yeah. 
Because, yeah, they just commute to work watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> strange country. Oh, Japan? Very strange. I no, love... no, this is South Korea. Yeah. Oh, South Korea. Yeah. yeah. All, well, literally all the phones, phones sold in Asia used to have a t television receiver built in. Well, which can't have done the battery life much good, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably the, you know... It, it's going to make commute better. Oh, yeah. I would guess. <laughs> well, as long as everyone's <laughs> using headphones. Do you have power sources to plug into while they're commuting? No idea. Uh, I haven't looked at it kinetic, in detail, but I do kinetic. remember seeing film of an underground train in South Korea and literally nobody's looking out the windows they're all looking at their their little screens well, the whole right, journey but if you look at pictures of the 1920s in the United States everybody's sitting there on a bus reading a newspaper in yeah so I at mean, least a screen so takes up not... less room yeah right I mean it's not that technology has changed things people have always the more you encroach on people's space, if you stick people in a city, their invisible space gets smaller. And so you know that space you've got yeah. to have around your body so you, you feel okay around people? Their invisible spot just gets smaller and smaller until they'll just do anything to pretend they're alone, even when they're not. So I guess I understand it. You know, why you would do that. Time for Alex, if he's around. Yes, I know. Ah, there he is. Good evening, <clears throat> Alex. Good evening. How's it going? Uh, going pretty good. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for 8-29-2016. So, what's new and exciting? I can't come up with anything else to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you can you hear me okay this week? I can hear you perfect. I think the, I think Discord was just getting used to your surroundings because you'd used it on the, I guess on the road before, and this might have been the first time you used it at home was last week. Maybe. Don't know. Okay. I can hear you great. You sound okay. fantastic. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so, what's new and exciting? Well, um, uh, right off the bat. Um, St. Louis County in Missouri. Okay. The county council is uh, moving a Tobacco 21 bill to perfection, which I'm not all that familiar with how St. Louis County makes their law. Um, so I, I sort of assume that this is a period of the lawmaking process where they work out some kinks in the language, and I've spent kind of a inordinate amount of time today reviewing the ordinance and mm -hmm. found several kinks in the language um <clears throat> but uh so our, our friends over at uh by state regional advocates for vaping education mm -hmm. uh, or brave aj mall uh, and mm -hmm. others have been on top of this and uh i believe i i I know AJ works during the day. I don't know if he's going to be there, but um, I know that people will be showing up at the hearing tomorrow. Uh, right. It's tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Uh, anybody in St. Louis County is recommended that wants to go to the hearing uh, is recommended to get there around 5.40 so you can get through security and take your and sign up to speak if you would like. Okay. Um, 
And we also have an active engagement for this. Uh, okay. We don't normally run these things through our um, engage platform, but uh, the, 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 this, <laughs> the uh, options have been expanded recently for uh, local lawmakers. So uh, we were able to put together sort of the pre-written, fully editable email campaign for St. Louis County counselors. So if you live in St. Louis County, by all means, uh, check out our website. You can find the link to the, the engagement there and okay. send them an email. There's also uh, phone numbers and uh, yeah, contact information for uh, for calling county councilors and okay. urging them to oppose this. And just since you know we're on this topic, it, it, the Tobacco Twenty One laws are something that we are opposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's you know under ideal circumstances, we're talking about some sort of carve out for smoke free products, acknowledging they are lower risk than than cigarettes yeah. um but that's sort of an unreasonable ask that mm -hmm. that seems to be too complicated for people to make the words for so um it, it's it's kind of we're sort of in that position where we generally oppose um tobacco 21. oh sure uh i mean not to mention the whole kind of you know you're considered an adult when you're 18. Right. So, you know, at the very least, you should be able to be, you should be able to to make that decision on your own, whether or not you want to initiate some sort of nicotine product, um, especially when we're talking about low risk products. Sure. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of immediate legislative thing going on. Um, over the weekend, uh, for people living in California, um, the Sacramento Business Journal put up a poll okay. asking readers if they would support a $2 per pack tax increase on cigarettes. <laughs> Do and, they not? They don't get that it's them too. Well, the yes it, it, that's yeah, that's the point is that uh, you know even the media is already sort of either missing the point or intentionally leaving out the additional tax being applied to vapor products sure. um and this is not like it's, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna mess this up but you know the, the complicated thing here is that there is an equivalency tax on vapor mm -hmm. products. And this is not, it's not the, uh, maybe I'm already misunderstanding it. <laughs> they're, they're going to pass a tax on, on vaping too. They're going to sub somehow standardize that. Correct. Right. If yeah. It's, 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 tobacco. it's, yeah. it's, so they're, they're adding $2 tax onto a pack of cigarettes. Now, mm -hmm. cigarettes are already taxed in, sure. in California. So it's $2 on top of what is already being taxed. Mm -hmm. They're not finding the equivalency of that addition. They're, they're finding the equivalence of the total tax 
being applied to cigarettes. So for vapor products, which are not currently subject to any extra tax beyond sales tax, mm -hmm. this means somewhere in the range of 62 to 68% tax okay. on vapor products. And people are still kind of working out whether or not this means all things, devices, components, and e-liquid, mm -hmm. or if this would just apply to nicotine containing liquid, um, that's something that people are still trying to figure out. Okay. Regardless, regardless of that, mm -hmm. this Sacramento Business Journal poll is a, a very good example of how this ballot initiative is already being misrepresented in, in the media and potentially to voters. Um, and, and this is something that uh, it, it wasn't something that we actually ended up publishing, but right. one of the things that we have voiced, um, you know, when I was in Sacramento, uh, back in the spring with, uh, with Safada members from California mm -hmm. and we spoke with, I can't remember the name of the agency. I have a business card around here. Um, okay. but they are, they are the organization that, uh, basically provides information to voters about the various ballot initiatives. And, okay. um, one of the, one of the issues that was brought up was that the title of this ballot initiative is misleading in that it only references uh, mm -hmm. tobacco. It does not specifically name vapor products. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there are plenty of people in California who right. would make that distinction between smoking and vapor products uh, if they are afforded that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, there is a... Um, website to check out there's a there's a campaign against uh this initiative uh, i believe it's no on 56.com okay. or .org um just google no on 56 and you should be able to find it okay so okay. that's california okay uh the other piece of news that uh hopefully by now people have had the opportunity to uh, at least find this um, the uh, right to be smoke free slash Nicopure uh, camp was a, responded to uh, the FDA's uh, motion for summary judgment, I believe, uh, on Friday. That was the deadline for it. Uh, mm -hmm. I have not actually had all of the time or presence of mind to sit down and read all 50 pages of it, mm -hmm. but. What I have read of it is very impressive. It is very direct um, and is very well written. Uh, hopefully we'll have something up about it on our site um, this week. But I encourage everyone to uh, seek that out. And uh, yeah. actually, I, when, I'll give you a link that you can put in the show notes. Uh, we have that I've got posted it. up on our website. Awesome. Yeah, okay. of, I think Clive Bates put out a link to it uh, yeah. on Friday or Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you were talking about Brave. Uh, Margo's on the show. Uh, Margo, what, what do you do for Brave? Technically, I am Southwest Missouri's Regional Vice President for Brave. So Nice. Yeah, we know. had a local get-together this weekend, and... Uh, 
that was one of the things that we hit on was the fact that because we do live in the state of Missouri, if you ever even remotely drive close to the St. Louis area, fire off emails and let them know how you feel about it. Kansas yeah. City already got hit really hard with it, and Columbia has been hit with it. Um, it's just a matter of time before they start making their way across the whole state. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he, you know, I, I was talking to, to uh, chatting back and forth with AJ over the past couple of days, and I, Missouri is one of those states that I'm sorry, I'm saying Missouri wrong. I'm not from Missouri, and I'm not going to pretend to get my accent right, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're actually of... saying it correctly you are actually are okay. the way the way julie says it the way you say it that's absolutely correct when i say it it sounds terrible okay, okay. well uh so missouri is one of those states where uh you guys at the state level have a, a, a tobacco and vapor product definition that is is separate and um I was I was trying to find it earlier, but I, I couldn't. But I do remember that being something that the legislature, you know, there was an effort to separate vapor products from tobacco products Correct. from cigarettes. Correct. And one of the interesting things about this, uh, the ordinance in St. Louis County, is that they they seem to have taken care to define alternative nicotine products and vapor products separately from tobacco and tobacco products, but they did it in a way where it's sort of all in the same sub part. So it's in the definition section, the, the first definition is tobacco and tobacco products. And that's, so that's one A and then one B and one C include alternative nicotine products and vapor products. And so I, I just thought that was a very strange, like structurally, that was a very strange way to, add those definition, definitions in there. And then later on in the ordinance, they kind of specify where licensing fees are supposed to be, uh, you know, licensing fees are supposed to pay for the Department of Public Health enforcing um, the minimum legal purchase age. But they refer to it, it, it only goes to uh, those licensed to sell tobacco products. It doesn't mention alternative nicotine. It doesn't mention vapor products. So, which is kind of a weird, you know, it's either carelessness or some sort of Freudian slip well, where they- It gets you know, even more confusing too, because there are some cities in the state that require vapor stores to obtain tobacco licenses and others that don't. So mm -hmm. it, it's been kind of a alphabet soup from day one. Mm -hmm. um, Missouri is a, a unique state, though, because you have to remember that our state governing body had to override Jay Nixon because Jay Nixon vetoed a bill that was sent to him that would make minimum age of 18 on vaping products law. And mm -hmm. he vetoed it because there was language in it he didn't like. And so... It, it was, it's been strange to watch how all of those policies actually play out in the state. And we're also what the, the lowest tobacco tax in the country. I think so. It's like you guys and, and uh, Kentucky, I think is the lowest. Wow. So yeah, everybody's hurting for money and they're just looking to find it anywhere. 
I see a lot of places now talking about soda taxes that I never thought I would see talk seriously about that before. So uh, the search for money, they tend to go the easier out with what they say is sin tax, but with vapor products and low risk alternatives to smoking, that just doesn't make any sense because it's, it's hurting the very thing you claim to want to move people to, you know what I mean? I've never understood that. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm, I'm not the government. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it, with the, the, the tax bill, the tax ballot initiative in California and mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of, a lot of activity in Pennsylvania going on um, yeah. between now and uh, the end of September. Uh, I, I feel like I've talked about this every week, but um, <laughs> so the Pennsylvania legislature comes back into session, I believe on September 19th or right around there. Right. And uh, there's a memorandum floating around. This is apparently how Pennsylvania makes, uh, introduces bills when they're in recess. Yeah. And this would, uh, it would, essentially reduce the tax on vapor products from the 40% wholesale tax that retailers are currently going to be required to pay right. uh, down to five cents per milliliter uh, of e-liquid. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's going to be just on nicotine containing e-liquid or all mm -hmm. e-liquid. Um, but uh, so that's, it's, it's a much more workable, uh, tax plan yeah. the california yeah the california ballot initiative although it it does not look like it will contain a floor tax which is mm -hmm. what the floor tax in pennsylvania is sort of the first thing that would put businesses out of business um a, a 62 to 68 percent tax oh. on vapor products in california would God. just that would cripple uh, it, the industry it, yeah, it, it, it will put a lot of people out of business. And considering that I think half or just over half of the vapor product industry is in California, um, that that would be a huge, huge deal. Um, so, and it's, you know, ultimately you can't, you can't collect tax on zero sales. Yeah. that that just doesn't that doesn't compute um so i i really don't you know i i think a lot of times lawmakers get wooed by the numbers and then the, the tobacco 21 movement is is another great example of that um institutes of medicine looked at that policy but it all hinges on you know every state adopting the policy now mm -hmm. and and the, the the gains are sort of or the public health gains if you want to put it that way are, are are mediocre at best you're talking about i think three million people mm -hmm. uh not starting to smoke over the period of 40 years or something right. like that well i mean tobacco control pretty much has done 
everything it possibly could that would, would make actual reductions, right? Now we're at the point of completely diminishing returns where it, it's not implementing policy to help anyone except itself, maybe with publicity. Because this stuff is, is just, it's crazy. I mean, I, I figure the next thing they're going to be talking about is the same thing Simon Chapman talks about a lot in Australia, smoking license or a vaping product license for end users. You know, if they can't get the tax from the businesses because they drive them out of business, well, maybe they'll try to tax the end users. Do, and do that's I have a to zero a, would, public did, health game. What? Would, would Australians have to take a test in order to get that license? I, and, I, and, and, and what would that <laughs> test look like? I don't know. Maybe a hair follicle test. I can't, I can't even imagine. But it, the way they want to implement this in Australia is you would buy a license to say you were going to smoke a pack of cigarettes a week and it was going to be, you know, an extra $20 surcharge on top of a $20 pack of cigarettes. And that would be like your license. Um, and as you smoked more and more, the cost would go up on you, including the tax that you're already paying on top of your tobacco product. That's, that's like one of the top five stupidest things I think I've heard in a long well, time. This is what I say when I say tobacco control has hit the point of diminishing returns. Now they're throwing things out there that make absolutely no sense. Yeah. No sense. And if people implement all of these things, they're just going to be hurting the states they live in and the people trying to stop using tobacco. So none of this makes any sense at all. Except you know, to them in that imaginary world they live in. <laughs> no. And speaking of um, lame ideas coming out of tobacco control, I just saw, <laughs> I guess this weekend, uh, the Truth Initiative put out some uh, <sighs> don't go squadless campaign. Uh, another hashtag that people are thrilled about. Um, <laughs> Again, you know, and it, it, what's really kind of what's what's really irritating is that I, you know, David Abrams, I believe, mm -hmm. is the executive director of, uh, or he's 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 high up in leadership in, in the Truth Initiative. Right. And he, he was at the Brooklyn Tobacco Harm Reduction Conference, and you know, one of the points, one of the very strong points that was made, especially mm -hmm. by Helen Helen Redmond, was right. that the the level of, of just the shaming campaigns and, mm -hmm. you know, making people feel as though there's, there's just something completely wrong with them. I mean, like at a deep spiritual level, level, you know, uh, those, you don't see those, you don't see that style of, of communication for things like, you know, people with other people with diseases or, you know, mm -hmm. You wouldn't shame a person with diabetes. You wouldn't, you know, shame a, a person with the cold. Right. You know, you'd say, no, you know, instead of, you know, licking the, the railing on the, the stairs or doorknobs, <laughs> you know, make sure you wash your hands frequently and, uh, you know, cover your mouth when you sneeze or your nose. And, right. <clears throat> you know, you don't, <clears throat> you don't ostracize those people yet we do that to smokers so 
it, it's just, I, again, you know, to walk away from a, a very informative conference like that and go back to an organization and somehow they're allowed to continue perpetuating these shaming campaigns uh, is, it just, it doesn't surprise me. It just, I guess it kind of, it's very disappointing. I think, I find it infuriating. I mean, I think vaping and, and low-risk products have probably reached the mass of people that they're going to reach that want to stop or want to continue ingesting nicotine or not and just, you know, vape for the flavor or, you know, use oral tobacco because they like the kick um, without causing irrevocable harm to themselves, maybe. Um, these campaigns trying to shame the last few people that are still smoking is ridiculous. You know, it, it these people are the diehards and shaming them it's making it the forbidden fruit and we know what happens with that. You know what I mean? People go, yeah, you don't want me to do it. I'll do it anyway. That's what, that's what some people are like. So it's not gaining them anything. It's making them look abusive and bad. You know what I mean? It's making tobacco control look like a bunch of bullies. Yeah. Which, appearances, you know, they count for a lot. <laughs> so it, it's just it's a shame because I think at at some point when they first started when they talked about the harms and and way to reduce harms and and you know what I mean I, I think they they probably did some good then and now they're just hurting people they claim to quote unquote care about but if they're abusing them how much do they really care I guess yeah. I, I think it's it, to some extent it's clear that uh, tobacco control has kind of written off that that last remaining, you know, fifteen to sixteen percent of people, and, and it's it's less about the existing smokers and more about uh, scaring young people into to not starting, um, which, like you said, it's just you know you're just making it taboo, which kind of makes it you know the forbidden fruit taste sweeter. So, um, you know, that's that that. You know, it, with with the the deeming regulations taking full effect in a couple of years, and with you know generally, uh, uh, I guess a majority of people not understanding the risks associated um, with these products, not understanding the benefits. Um, you know, I think we're about to see over the next couple over the next two years, even though the regulations haven't taken full effect, uh, we'll start to see that the that this kind of recent rapid decline in smoking prevalence start to level off again oh sure and uh that's um, that's sort of my somewhat unqualified prediction but um you know that my my hope it's an unfortunate thing to hope this but uh, because it means that that more people just continue to smoke but um hopefully that evidence comes to light and and further you know supports uh the case of, of harm reduction advocates that um, you know we need to find a more more rational approach to to promoting these products, allowing these products to stay on the market. Mm -hmm. um, and and with that, we're sort of coming up on the half hour mark here, so I'll, I'll be getting <clears throat> getting out of here. But um, uh, just wanted to put 
you know, a final plug in there that, you know, so we're coming up on September mm-hmm. and uh, I believe September is when uh, lawmakers will be heading back to DC. Sure. Uh, and so over the next, um, you know, September, October, uh, this is going to be kind of a critical time for people to be reaching out to their lawmakers and urging them to support this predicate date change. And mm-hmm. uh, at the moment, uh, the the most viable vehicle for this is the Cole Bishop Amendment. Uh, this is what is in the Agricultural Appropriations Bill, and uh, we, you know we may see this come to um, uh, a vote on the. the the uh, floor of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the potential of a mini omnibus bill that happens, you know, before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, it, it, you know, if, if you haven't taken the time to reach out to your lawmakers and urge them to support this, uh, now is the time to start doing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, HR 2058 is still something that, you know, we're urging people to, it's part of the, the message that we're sending to lawmakers, um, you know, for our purposes, that's sort of an easy, you know, someone that supports HR 2058, we kind of know where they stand and then you, right. you can have that, you can have that support in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's also something we're urging people to support. Um, so yeah, you know, these next couple of months, it, 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 it unfortunately, uh, it's a few, there's a handful of state legislatures that will be coming back and, and doing things, uh, New Jersey being one of them. Uh, so we'll have to be paying attention to what's going on at the state level. And mm-hmm. I think it's like seven or eight states um, from now through November, and a few of them go all the way through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, the focus really shifts to... Um, getting congressional support for predicate date change. Sure. Exactly. Can you guys still hear me or Discord go down? I can hear you. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, it's just... I think... I wish more people's families would reach out to these lawmakers. Um, I'm not talking about children. You know, I think that tobacco control uses children and it's unethical in a big way. But your husbands, your wives, your parents or grandparents, if, if they've seen a change in you or if they've seen your health improve and, and seen your life improve, it would be great if they would contact the lawmakers as well. You know, I think people see us doing it and assume we're like a cult or something. But the more people that notice things in your life getting better, um, the more I think lawmakers can be made aware of that, the better it looks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's one of those things, you know, we get asked frequently, you know, what more can I do? I've sent the letters, I've made my phone calls, I've, sure. you know, I've shared information and this and that. Um, but, but, you know, the, the effort going forward is, is reaching out, you know, outside of the, the kind of vaping community echo chamber. Uh, we're, we're all relatively convinced that these products have, have benefited us. Sure. Um, it's, it's reaching out to the non-smoking, non-vaping, non-tobacco-using 
uh, rest of the population who uh, who really need to understand. And you know, there's there's a lot of people. I, it's unfortunate that you know the, the scheduling didn't work out. But there's a harm reduction conference, I believe, in San San Diego uh -huh. uh, that takes place. I think it's every two years, uh -huh. and uh, you know that would be uh, a, a good place for for people to to go and and. And uh, it costs actually a lot of money to attend, but right. um, but generally, you know, there are harm reduction advocates in other in relation to other issues in drugs, drug use probably being the most um, prominent one. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's uh, you know, harm reduction is harm reduction is harm reduction, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, those people that it, it, you know, but for some reason, when it comes to tobacco, everybody just sort of puts the blinders on. Um, so that's that's a segment. There's you know, there's a lot of people of various political persuasions who are pro harm reduction and uh, don't smoke. Don't they don't they don't smoke? They don't drink. They don't do drugs, but they're pro harm reduction. And those those are some of the people that we need to reach out to. Um, you know the, the message going forward this is a compassionate and and uh effective and I, I hate to say the word efficient because it seems like you know we're all just machines but um this is an efficient way to to you know help people improve their lives and you know empower people to make good decisions about their health yeah. um so you know reaching out to friends family co-workers uh that's it's really vital to, to getting the message out there and then you know tell them to go to casa.org and send a message to their lawmakers sure exactly yeah. is that it for this week alex do you think that should be the it for this week i, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something as always but uh hopefully we'll we'll figure it out and make it up next week okay thank you so much have a great night awesome we'll thank see you see you next time all right okay bye bye okay um, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. If we, Argo, do you want to say anything? I just figured I'd ask. Okay. Um, trying to think what I promised. Not promised, but said I would cover. Um, Persistent surveillance systems. Yeah. And this is... Hello? Yeah, yeah. On you go. Okay. <laughs> um, I can't hear Margo. I think she's either muted or got to drop out and come back in. Okay. So I'm going to talk about persistent surveillance systems and Baltimore, which is seems like... It seems like we talk about persistent surveillance systems a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. At least once or twice a year on here, we talk about persistent surveillance systems, and there's a reason for that. Damn, we're going to talk about it again. <laughs> Eventually, someone's going to understand why this is a problem. Uh, persistent surveillance systems has been watching Baltimore for months. Police charity that normally funds sports team trophies instead helped airborne snooping. A company that sends Cessna aircraft to surveil cities from 25,000 feet up in the air in an effort to fight crime, has been watching Baltimore for months now with zero public notification, according to a new report from Bloomberg Businessweek. The firm, Persistent Surveillance Systems, 
has been actively trying to get new contracts with large cities nationwide. When Ars Technica profiled the company in 2014, CEO Ross McNutt said PSS was trying to work with Chicago after having controversially flown for nine days over Compton, California, adjacent to Los Angeles in 2012. PSS has evidently now succeeded in Baltimore. As Business Week reported, the the Baltimore project was funded by two Texan philanthropists, John and Laura Arnold, who said if the company could find a city to partner with, they would fund it. Eventually, McNutt worked his connections with the Baltimore Police Department, which arranged for payment by something called the Baltimore Community Foundation, a local group that describes itself as a philanthropic foundation created by and for the people of Greater Baltimore, where many donors join together to make the region they love a better place today and for future generations. In January 2016, McNutt and his team opened a smaller office above a downtown parking garage marked with a sign that simply reads Community Support Program. As Business Week noted, a former Baltimore cop acts as a liaison between the Baltimore Police Department and PSS, which receives a printout of all logged crimes from the previous day. The Baltimore Community Foundation sent ours a statement explaining that it serves as a fiscal sponsor for hundreds of funds that make thousands of grants per year. In December 2015, BCF received a gift of $120,000 from Fidelity, Fidelity, Fidelity Charitable Fund, for the Baltimore Police Foundation Special Grants Fund, one of the 800 funds at BCF, according to the statement sent by Andrew Walden. Walden went on to explain that the Baltimore Police Department um, Foundation Special Projects Fund then paid the same 120000 to persistent surveillance systems. Recent payments from this fund have been used to purchase food for community events, trophies for sports teams, and items for the City Police Museum. When Ars asked Walterman whether it was appropriate for BCF to fund a surveillance project of this magnitude, he referred us to BCF President Thomas Wilcox. Wilcox did not immediately respond. PSS itself also did not respond to Ars' request for comment. Ars has since filed the public's <coughs> reference request with the Baltimore Police Department to learn more about its arrangement with PSS. The $120,000 payment came about nine months before an August 2016 report by the Department of Justice, which concluded that the Baltimore Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of conduct that violates the Constitution or federal law. A Baltimore PD spokesman told ours that the department would be hosting a press conference live streamed on its Facebook page and Periscope at 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. Um, okay, so Wednesday. At a press conference that lasted more than 30 minutes, BPD spokesman T.J. Smith explained that the PSS program has a few weeks left in a total operation of approximately 300 hours. There was a phase of flights in January and February 2016, with another during the summer. Maintain that the goal of the program is for public safety. I do not want to talk to another mother on the street who's crying because her son was killed on the streets. Smith was unable to fully explain how this was disclosed to city officials or the citizenry, maintain that the program is quote not a secret spy program that's absolutely false there was no conspiracy not to disclose it he said ceo ross mcdunt was also present at the press conference and maintained his argument that the program is worthwhile we believe we contribute significantly to the safety and support of the citizens of baltimore we do not have the legal analysis that covers the program we are no different than any other law enforcement program there are four supreme court precedents he was likely referring to the 1989 Supreme Court decision, Florida versus Riley, which found that no warrant is needed if police conduct aerial surveillance. However, that case involved police in a helicopter targeting one person's alleged marijuana operation, not an entire city. 
That case built off a 1986 case, California versus Cirillo, which reached a similar conclusion. Smith also said that a murder was reported in Baltimore on Wednesday and that the plane was grounded due to scheduled maintenance. We wished it were up today, he said. The problem with persistent surveillance systems is that it does this shit secretly and it surveils a whole city. Barry, yeah. anything? I think we found another use for those big blimps, though. It'd be a lot cheaper <laughs> than flying planes. Um, uh, absolutely. Okay. Margo, did you want to say something about what happened before? Or, or well, anything? yeah. Are you okay. able to hear me now? I can. Go for it. Okay. Um, kind of to back up a little bit with about what Alex was talking, that was one of the big things. We had um, a pretty good turnout for a large meeting this weekend for advocacy here. And I, I played a game of 21 questions with these people. <clears throat> the end goal being to point out to them that everyone that was there already knew about the benefits that, that, and harm reduction that they needed to step up and take this outside of that comfort zone and start talking to people who know them and then carry it further and start talking to people who don't understand it or have bought into a lot of the, the hype and, and bull that's been put out there about it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to hit on, um, okay. and it's completely off topic is that, well, not off topic because it kind of has something to do with advocacy. Okay. We all know that there are a lot of advocacy groups out there. Um, in general, we're all working toward the same goal. Each group is going to approach it from a different perspective and a point of view. Within those groups, you're going to have good apples and bad apples, to put it bluntly. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that people would not judge advocacy as a whole based on the actions or statements of a few of the bad apples. Um, I know recently there had been some statements made that were not nice to people in advocacy. I can tell you as a, as a lowly peon in, in this March, um, I've been at it for a long time. Like I started doing it shortly after I started vaping and that's been over three years. Um, I really get upset when people who have a <clears throat> claim to fame slam people who are doing good hard work because they tend to get their message out there more than the rest of us and it's <laughs> not right. Um, and they are wrong to lump everyone into one single category, uh, myself included. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of took personal offense to some things that were said because <laughs> I am an advocate. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that are. I know a lot of people that don't fall into the stereotypical comments that have been made about people that go out here every day putting it out on the line um, for a good reason. 
And so for a lot of people who are becoming disenchanted, um, frustrated, mm-hmm. know that many of us understand why that's happening. I ask you to take it with a grain of salt and please pick the good apples out of the bushel and leave the bad ones alone. That was very was I nice enough? You were. That was very classy. Um, Extremely you know, polite. I, yeah. It was. I've and seen, no food little words. <laughs> no. I'm I'm very proud of the work Margot does. You know, I've done advocacy before I was ever involved with CASA. So I've I've worked for I've worked with privacy advocates for a very long time before I did any of this. I worked with people who were involved with the 10th Amendment in various shapes and forms. I've worked with Second Amendment people. I've worked with First Amendment people. I've worked with people that advocate for drug use to be decriminalized. I've done this for almost, I want to say almost all my life. You've been um, doing that a long time. I have, and it's frustrating. Well, because at, at some because... point, it, any small portion of us will only reach a quarter of the people we actually need to reach with our message. And politics just makes it really hard. If you could have seen the Drug Policy Alliance, which I wish more people really knew about, Ethan Nadelman really spearheaded the movement to decriminalize drugs in this country if it were not for a lot of his hard work in the beginning you would not see the changes in the country that you see now where people are allowed to medically use cannabis who are in pain and who are dying from horrible diseases um if you could see where he started and see where he is now you would see a big difference we're all just at the point with this, whether we're an industry group or a consumer group, uh, we're all just at the point where we're just starting. And what is happening with the government is hitting us like, do you remember those cartoons when we were kids, Bugs Bunny would get would hit the other guy with an anvil and there would be seeing stars and falling on the ground. That's kind of like what's happening to us. Yeah. I don't think anybody expected it to be this bad. Well, you know, I don't know. Part of me did expect it to get this bad because the sad thing is we all knew this was coming. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people that would hear about, what we thought the government was going to start doing. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be all right. I'll just go ahead and do my thing. And mm-hmm. now there, and I swear to God, you know, I understand the sentiment when I hear fuck the FDA, but I'm here to tell you that's not the right approach to have with this. And if all of these people would have been paying attention for the last two, three, four, five years, Instead of now getting their panties in a bunch, um, perhaps we wouldn't be in this boat because we all know it's easier to stop something from happening than to fix it once it has. Oh, yeah. And 
that's where we're at right now. Um, and people have these blinders on when it comes to that. I really bite my tongue a lot of the time because I, especially when I'm in an advocacy role, that's, it's not my job to say, well, where were you two years ago? You stupid. Um, <laughs> See, I'm in a different country. It, so when people have said that to me, time, yeah. um, it, you have to deal with what you have now. And what we have now is the mess that's on our plate. I knew it was going to be a volcano. I knew it was going to explode. I knew that the personality clashes were going to intensify, magnify, and just blow up the planet. Well, I mean, um, but that's, but here's the thing. Having done this for a long time, I, I can tell you three things. One, you're lucky if you get 5% of your core group that you can get sure. engaged. Two, True. that 5%, that's all you ever get is mm -hmm. 5%. If you get more than 5%, holy shit, the world must be coming to an end. Number two, nobody takes action until the sky is falling on them. Some Correct. of them not even then. Three, everybody expects everybody else to do the hard work to dig them out of the hole that they're in. And sometimes Correct. there isn't enough money to do that. There isn't enough or money. Or enough shovels. Yeah. Sometimes you have to step up and do stuff yourself or, or decide, you know, that you want to do without something or that you're okay with breaking the law. But like I said at the beginning of the show, I know of two vendors who have been closed down now. One, because their credit card processor completely stopped processing payments on August 8th. I know of 40 or 50 people who are not able to put orders through with their credit cards because their credit card process, their credit card companies are denying them. Banks are denying them. Um, the shops that are going to be in the best condition if they're in online shop or what have you are going to be the ones that are set up to accept cryptocurrencies. And I know a couple who've done that and some that are talking about going completely dark into regions of the web that I'm not sure I want to venture into a tour anymore. No. Because of government regulation. Go yeah. Ahead. We've had two local shops close already. And I mean, it happened like within a week or so after the deeming regulations were released. Um, that really uh, frightened me that it happened so quickly. Okay. So in the chat... Someone said, I wonder why the advocacy groups have ordered vape shops to stop installing coils and batteries to prove a point that the regulations are overreaching. I don't believe anyone's done that. I know that some people have reached out to lawyers and handed them the full 500-page document. Some people I'm not going to name have paid lawyers to sit there and comb through it. And lawyers have mostly come back and said the same thing. Do not antagonize the FDA. This is written so poorly, we don't know what they're going to do. We know what they say. We don't know what they're going to do. And we cannot afford to antagonize them. And if and anything's believe, happening in chat, you guys have to tell me because I closed it. I, I believe <laughs> that a lot of the advice that was given out after that was based on the fear that everything was going to get shut down. 
I don't believe people have told people to stop doing that. I believe that some people have chosen to stop doing that. And I know, in fact, the day after deeming started, I know Alex and I talked about, well, if you can't do it in the shop, why couldn't you just simply step outside and help a customer? I don't think that's a conversation we had on the air. But I do know that having looked at the deeming regulations, I didn't see any prohibitions towards that there. And what we have been, what we have been doing locally, and very very blessed on a local level here. Um, early on, our shops understood that they really needed to work together and not be this is mine, this is yours turf kind of scenario. We have got um, consumers that will bounce from shop to shop and they post, I'm going to be at this shop from this time to this time. If you need any help, come by. And what they're doing is they're managing to have consumers in the shop to help people. So the shops aren't come uncomfortable thinking that they may wind up being doing something they're not supposed to they can't get in trouble for it if if it's happening with consumer mm -hmm. to consumer sure. um they're they're doing what they think they need to do mm -hmm. to take care of themselves and keep their doors open and when people start screaming about why aren't you doing this i say first of all i'm not an attorney i've never pretended to be one second of all if you are a shop owner you're crazy if you don't talk to an attorney because mm -hmm. it's your doors that are going to get closed if, if something goes you know, wrong. What kills me? Do you know how many people I've seen go into just just regular vaping groups and hey, I run a shop. Uh, should I do this or should I do that? Does anybody know? If you own a business, it's I, I'm just asking a question. How did you not know to sign up with any of the trade organizations out there? Any of them, even your local chamber of commerce would See, probably have been able to give you better legal advice than some people in a vape group. Exactly. You should and not be getting your legal advice from, from vape group. Yeah, I haven't understood this from day one. How can you invest tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars starting your own business, worrying about getting city, county, state, and federal licensing to do so. Um, you've got payroll taxes. You, you've got self-employment taxes. You've got inventory to take care of. How are you going to go to all that trouble and not know what the hell you're supposed to do once you get it all lined up? I, I've never been able to wrap my head around it. Yeah. I, I think... Probably the best thing for people to do who have questions is definitely ask Spada because they're the ones that they are paying attorneys have... for these answers. Yeah, I'm not. I don't have the money to. I sat and read 500 pages until my eyes wanted to bleed and I just wanted to cry. You know. Um, well, and in the same token, I'm going to say. If it is your business and you mm -hmm. choose not to make legal counsel to your, available to yourself, you choose to do all of this on your own, that's your choice. Go. Mm -hmm. um, you, you get no argument from me. 
it, it's all on you. It's all your decision. More power to you. Um, but to, to go around slamming people that are actually out here trying to help as much as they can. Uh, sorry. Uh, not very cool. I just, I have such a headache about this. There's nothing I love more than being called a fucking liar by somebody I used to consider a friend. That's all I'm going to say about that. It, it's, it's an offense. It is. Um, and I'm sorry no. you have a headache. No, it's fine. It's the weather. It's the government. It's everything. It's, you know, I enjoy I enjoy this. This is what I love about advocacy. Everybody pulling together and standing behind each other instead of separating and attacking the messenger. That's the best well, part. And I'm re we're really lucky here. I, I yeah. believe me, I know how blessed I am in this area that everyone really is willing to work together. The, the division has to happen. Yeah. At least you have that. I, so, I don't know that I would okay. stay in it if it wasn't. That's, that's a good thing. Okay. It's a hard enough fight. So... And now on to now on to an organization that I support and still work closely with and adore and wish I had more time to do more for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. This is about Section 702. Word games, what the NSA means by targeted surveillance under Section 702. This was written by Cindy Cohn from the EFF. We all know that the NSA uses word games to hide and downplay its activities. Words like collect, conversations, communications, and even surveillance have suffered tortured definitions that create confusion rather than clarify. Where do they know that from? Government regulations. <laughs> There's another one to watch targeted versus mass surveillance. Since 2008, the NSA has seized tens of billions of internet communications. It uses the upstream and prison programs, which the government claims are authorized under Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act, to collect hundreds of millions of those communications each year. The scope is breathtaking, including ongoing seizure and searching of communications flowing through key internet backbone junctures, the searching of communications held by service providers like Google, Facebook, and according to the government's own investigations, the retention of slightly more than 200, I'm sorry, 250 million internet communications per year. Yet somehow the NSA and its defenders still try to pass 702 surveillance off as targeted surveillance, asserting that it is incorrect when the EFF and many others call it mass surveillance. Our answer if mass surveillance includes the collection of content of hundreds of millions of communications annually and the real-time searches of billions more, then the PRISM and upstream programs under Section 702 fully satisfy that definition. This word game is important because Section 702 is set to expire in December 2017. EFF and our colleagues who banded together to stop Section 215 telephone records surveillance are gathering our strength for this next step in reigning in the NSA. At the same time, the government spin doctors are trying to avoid careful examination by convincing Congress and the American people that this is just targeted surveillance and doesn't impact innocent people. Okay. Sections, <laughs> yeah. Section 702, surveillance, prism, and upstream. 
PRISM and upstream surveillance are two types of surveillance that the government admits that it conducts under Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act, passed in 2008. Each kind of surveillance gives the U.S. government access to vast quantities of internet communications. Upstream gives the NSA access to communications flowing through the fiber optic internet backbone cables within the United States. This happens because the NSA, with the help of telecommunications companies like AT&T, makes wholesale copies of the communication streams passing through certain fiber optic backbone cables. Upstream is at issue in EFF's NSA versus Jewel case. I'm sorry, Jewel versus NSA. PRISM gives the government access to communications in the possession of third-party internet service providers, such as Google, Yahoo, or Facebook. Less is known about how PRISM actually works, something Congress should shine some light on between now and December 2017. Note that the two programs existed prior to 2008. They were just done under a shifting set of legal theories and authorities. EFF has had evidence of the upstream program from whistleblower Mark Klein since 2006, and we've been trying to stop it ever since. Why PRISM and upstream are mass not targeted surveillance. Despite government claims to the contrary, here is why PRISM and upstream are mass surveillance. One, breadth of acquisition. First, the scope of the collection under both PRISM and upstream surveillance is exceedingly broad. The NSA acquires hundreds of millions, if not billions, of communications under these programs annually. Although in the U.S. government's view, the programs are normally targeted, that targeting sweeps so broadly that the communications of innocent third parties are inevitably and intentionally vacuumed up in the process. For example, a review of a large cache of intercepted conversations provided by Edward Snowden and analyzed by the Washington Post revealed that 9 out of 10 account holders were not the intended surveillance targets, but were caught in the net the agency had cast for somebody else. The material reviewed by the Post considered a, consisted of 160,000 intercepted emails and instant message conversations. 79,000 documents, including medical records sent from one family member to another, resumes from job hunters, and academic transcripts of children, and more than 5,000 private photos. In all, the cache revealed the daily lives of more than 10,000 account holders who were not targeted, but were cataloged and recorded nonetheless. The Post estimated that the U.S. government's annual rate of targeting collection under Section 702 would encompass more than 900,000 users annually. By any definition, this is mass surveillance. Two, indiscriminate full content searching. Second, in the course of accomplishing its so-called targeted upstream surveillance, the U.S. government, in part through its agent AT&T, indiscriminately searches the contents of billions of internet communications as they flow through the nation's domestic fiber optic internet backbone. This type of surveillance, known as about surveillance, involves the NSA's retention of communications that are neither to nor from a target of surveillance. Rather, it authorizes the NSA to obtain any communications about the target. Even if the acquisition of communications contained information about a surveillance target could somehow be considered targeted, the method for accomplishing that surveillance cannot be about surveillance. Entails a content search of all or substantially all internet communications transmitting in the United States. Again, by any definition, upstream surveillance is mass surveillance. For PRISM, while it is less known, 
it seems the government is able to search through or acquire the companies like Google and Facebook to search through all the customer data stored by the corporations for communication to or from its targets. Seizure, Fourth Amendment, and the Wireless Tap Act. To accomplish upstream surveillance, the NSA copies or has its agents like AT&T copy internet traffic as it flows through the fiber optic backbone. This copying, even if the messages are only retained briefly, matters under U.S. law. Under U.S. constitutional law, when the federal government meaningfully interferes with an individual's protected communications, those communications have been seized for the purposes of the U.S. Constitution's Fourth Amendment. Thus, when the U.S. government copies or has copied communications wholesale and diverts them for searching, it has seized those communications under the Fourth Amendment. Similarly, U.S. wiretapping law triggers a wiretap at the point of inception by device which occurs when the upstream mechanisms gain access to our communications. Why does the government insist that it's targeted? For upstream, it may be because the initial collection and searching of communications is done by service providers like AT&T on the government's behalf. It's really, really fast, and much of the information initially collected is then quickly disposed of. In this way, upstream collection is like, unlike telephone records, collection where the NSA keeps all the records it seized for years. Yet the difference should not change the conclusion that the surveillance is mass surveillance. First, all communications flowing through the collection points of upstream are seized and searched, including content and metadata. Second, as noted above, the amount of information retained, over 250 million internet communications per year, is astonishing. This, regardless of the time spent, the seizure and search are comprehensive and invasive. Using advanced computers, the NSA and its targets can do full-text content search within the blink of an eye through billions, if not trillions, of your communications, including emails, social media, and web searches. Second, as demonstrated above, the government retains a huge amount of communications, far more about innocent people than about its targets. So even based on the, what is retained, the surveillance is far better described as mass rather than targeted. Yes, it is mass surveillance. So it is completely correct to categorize Section 702 as mass surveillance. It stems from the con constitute of the method the NSA employs to accomplish its surveillance, particularly upstream, and the breadth of that surveillance. Next time you see the government or its supporters claim that PRISM and upstream are targeted surveillance programs, you'll know better. I've got a good shocked. one for you. Right, so... so okay. Yeah, so if the NSA were in charge of dropping bombs on people... I take it mm -hmm. their new precision bomber would be a B P B fifty two. About right. But it's, well, it's it's really targeted that plane. You know, it's not <laughs> carpet bombing. It's precision. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, you know, if you saw the drone papers, if you sat there and read the drone papers, which I sat and read through, um, is pretty sickening. Even our targeted bombing campaigns are not really all that accurate. So. No. To my government, the word targeted means like on going the same outside. It, yeah. it means going outside with your gun and loading it with birdshot. You're trying to shoot the one thing in front of you, but you're hitting everyone all around you. So targeted does not mean the same thing to the government that it means to us. The government has two sets of definitions for everything it does, whether it's regulating a regulating another government agency regulating a business out of business, 
what it tells you is not what it says. And the more you deal with my government, the more you know that that's the truth. They obscurificate, they lie, they make things more difficult than they need to be. And they do all this so that they can protect themselves by choosing to do whichever action they want and then saying, well, it was clearly written here. You know, uh, when and they, they make good money doing it too. They do. They're very, very good at it. So that's just kind of about how it is. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah, no, I don't take, uh, I don't take Uncle Joe's advice. Double barrel shotgun shooting into the air. <laughs> yeah, I love how that's illegal. That, that's not legal. I mean, and it's also not safe if you're using any sort of weapon to point it like anywhere and just indiscriminately fire it. But that's what the government does. So it must be good advice, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's eight o'clock. I've got such a headache. I don't. <sighs> okay. Lawmaker, licensing for Cajun Navy not meant to limit, but to empower. And if you've lived in a disaster area, you know how the government is being so helpful here. I've lived in a disaster area. You've lived in a disaster area. How fun is that? Okay. Uh -huh. New Orleans. The Good Samaritan, who rescued hundreds, maybe thousands of people during the Great Flood of 2016, said he was not happy after a state lawmaker announced he wants to introduce legislation around future actions by citizen heroes. Some of these citizen heroes, a loosely organized group called the Cajun Navy, gained national attention for their rescue efforts last week. That attention is nowhere near the pushback surrounding a lawmaker's proposal to require permits for citizen rescue groups. Cajun Navy member Dustin Coltrane of St. Armand said he hoped he hopped into his pleasure skiff, and with others, they cleared out entire neighborhoods underwater. For the most part, these people are not going to wait for assistance, Coltero said. They're doers. Republican State Senator Jonathan P.J. Perry of the Vermilion Lafayette area said he is working on legislation that could require training, certificates, and a permit to allow these good Samaritans to get past law enforcement into devastated areas. In a radio interview on News Talk 96.5 KPL in Lafayette, Senator Perry says it comes down to two main points for law enforcement officials. At the end of the day, there are going to be two things that are going to, that are going to be the hurdle when you approach it from the state standpoint, Senator Perry said. Liability is going to be the number one for them. They don't want the liability of someone going out to rescue someone and then not being able to find them. And secondly, there's a cost. Perry continues saying the liability issue could be solved by something like a waiver that voters signed prior to a national a natural disaster. Coltrane and members of the Cajun Navy said they do not understand the regulations. How can you regulate people helping people? That doesn't make sense to me, Coltero said. Senator Perry did not return phone calls for a comment by the time the story aired on WWL-TV, but the senator took to Facebook Tuesday night to explain the logistics and reasoning behind his proposal. The intent of what I want to do is completely unregulated. Okay, so I want to unregulate it by licensing and charging fees. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, that's what the FDA is doing. They're unregulating our industry. 
Da, da, da. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the, this like... whole thing is, is such a cluster. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and let me let me talk from the perspective of someone that lived through what I've been told was probably one of the worst natural disasters this country's seen. Um, when something that tops an EF5 eats over a third of your entire community, mm -hmm. uh, you want your neighbors to dig you out of that buried rubble because guess what? The rescue workers can't get to you. <laughs> I actually have a friend mm -hmm. whose sister died because they suffocated in the closet because nobody knew they were there. Nobody could get to them. And so, uh, yeah, mm, this is one I can't wrap my head around at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's such a helpful thing the guy's uh, in, in doing here because he talks about, you know, law enforcement issues. Because, yeah, yeah, what you want law enforcement to be doing in a, in a disaster area is checking everybody's paperwork to make sure they're all right to be there. Well, yeah. you know, what you really want is to be able to regulate the system so that people can get through. This is his fucking argument. You want to regulate the system so the people can get through without being stopped by law enforcement. First of all, I understand law enforcement being wary of people they don't know coming around. Okay? But people are dying. Yeah. Right? People are dying. I mean, it used to be when there was a natural disaster, they would call for volunteers. Mm -hmm. So what's changed? Right? What's changed if somebody has a boat and they can take entire families out of neighborhoods that are just underwater? Because uh, now the, the state can make money out of giving people waivers. No, no, no. They they're going to unregulate it by regulating it. Yeah. <laughs> Just I I can't even read the rest of it. It it makes me so crazy. Having lived through Hurricane Charlie, um, and then the subsequent hurricanes, I can tell you, one part of the state will be completely unaffected, and another part will be devastated. Gone. I had a tornado hit my house when, and I lived on the water. I will never live on the water again. When we went out, I had no more pool cage because you, you have to have your pool enclosed because children can hurt themselves. So you have to have your pool enclosed. I had a pool. I had a shop window in it from a hundred miles away dropped uh -huh. in my pool. Um, yep. My shed was upside down on top of the neighbor's shed pieces and portions of the house just got stripped away more and more and more we were a week without power and we were very lucky we were, we were lucky we were able to dig out and we were able to survive a lot of people didn't get so lucky a lot of people in older homes did not get lucky and it got to the point where law enforcement was going out to try and take care of people there were so many nails in the road that they just took their tires and filled their tires with green slime because they were replacing so many tires. You know that green slime crap? So they could yeah. keep driving and, and rescuing people. 
Um, and I know a lot of citizens helped each other out and no one said there needed to be a permit. I never experienced that. When you live in a community of older people, they're very afraid that the authorities are going to do something to them for them not following the rules, breaking the law. Um, Good Samaritan laws are supposed to be on books so that people can help each other, and yet there is a real fear of the government. And there was a fear of the government even back then. And now I would say it's bigger. Well, and it it would be like, what if you were, say you were at a swimming pool and you were drowning Mm -hmm. and someone was pulling you out of that swimming pool, would you be worried if they had a permit to do that? Or would you just be grateful that your butt was getting drug out so you wouldn't drown? Well, drowning, drowning people aren't that reasonable. Just FYI, they fight the shit out of whoever's saving their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's this whole ridiculous. thing just lacks common sense. Well, you know, I understand what he's saying now. And I even understand what he might be saying. Like, just getting everybody to sign a waiver. I, I, I can understand the government doesn't want liability for this on top of everything else. They're going to have to get money from FEMA and, and everything else. They're going to have to house all these people. There's nowhere to go with them. Um, and it's the stories coming out of the red cross shelters there are really bad um private citizens were bringing food to people and all of a sudden the red cross said nope no no more we don't want yeah Yeah. and so these people are being fed there were all kinds of things they weren't taken yeah it's it's amazing to me that this happens they let somebody and especially the red cross they had $50 $50 million to build houses in Haiti. Remember after Haiti got oh, yeah. hit? Okay. Oh, yeah. How many do you, do you know how many they built? Did they get a hundred up, is that? 80. Okay. Okay. Yep. For, for that That's margin, some high dollar housing. <laughs> somehow I doubt it. But every time the government comes in to try to make something better, um, they mm-hmm. fuck it up. I'm just saying, personal, personal, <laughs> personal. First-hand um, experience. Yeah, I personally know this for a fact. So, yeah. Not sure what else I can say about that. Is there anything else to say about that? Um, except I, I can understand why people were so pissed off. And, and there were people who rightly said, well, did you see the news conference? Well, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Apparently, the people in the government need media training. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So that they, they need more. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. No, they need to, you know, <laughs> regain humanity and <laughs> then go from there. Yeah. Put their but, brain uh, back yeah. in. Yeah. I, I don't know about that. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. So yeah, no idea what to say anymore. Except that was ridiculous. He had the worst sense of timing I've ever seen in my life. And I I can't understand why he can't grasp why people are upset about this. That makes no fucking sense to me. He's the politician. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. All I can say, you know, all I can say is sometimes you wonder whether they're human or not. 
I'm I'm not I'm not going David Icke. I'm just saying shit like this makes you wonder if they're actually human. Well, this is why the good people run from those jobs. <laughs> that's absolutely true. You'll never find an honest person as a politician. It, uh-uh. That kind of power calls to the pathologically corrupt people. Yeah, yeah, people who are morally bankrupt are the best politicians or the worst. Hard to know which. Oh, okay. I really got a headache, guys. My head is like pounding. It's just well, then maybe we should call it a wrap. Yeah. I feel bad because I did want to talk about the European copyright thing, but I can save that for next week. It's not like it's going to change between now and then. Mm, or very <laughs> unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> if it does, yeah. it's a follow-up story. Well, yeah, you know, the wheels of government move really, really slow. So, I know this is short um, for us. Normally, we're running like three hours or just under three hours, but it, this seems good for tonight, I think. Muppets in an advert, Mary, please. Okie dokie. Thank you. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Night, guys. See you next time.